as soon as we started recording, uh, I'm recording above a garage door, and it just opened. Uh, as soon as we started recording, a baby came into my room. For some reason, I was looking at your video and thought it was my video. I'm like, who is approaching me with a baby? <laughs> <laughs> you panicked and thought there's a baby behind me? Yeah, for some reason, I'm not the top video in in the way we've got it arranged here. And so... <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. I'm gonna switch that. It's like a different horror film. Instead of seeing the Candyman behind you in the mirror, you just see a baby approaching you. Oh my gosh, killer baby! That'd be so scary. Baby man, baby man. No one would see it coming. <laughs> baby could be like in broad daylight, get away with it. You know what I mean? How was this man massacred? Well, it couldn't have been that baby. <laughs> <laughs> Though its fingerprints are all over the knife. <laughs> His bib is covered in blood. <laughs> baby man. <laughs> Don't say baby man three times baby on the Zoom man. call or it'll appear behind you. <laughs> Listener, if you're confused, we actually really struggled with the badger guide. So we said, <laughs> let's just do a riff on this whole baby murderer thing for at least a half hour. So you got 24 minutes of you this. Y'all got the spec script I sent about baby man? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the true crime documentary about baby man. <laughs> Kyle, you'll be playing Detective Hankerson. I'll be I'll be playing murdered uh, party clown number two. <laughs> Why are oh, you man. assigning yourself the roles of the corpses? <laughs> no, it's from the cold open, Jake. Yeah, yeah, but his name is murdered past tense, so he's already dead. When we're introduced to him, right? That's right, everybody. Welcome to Woodland War Machine, a podcast that used to be about the board game Root. Used to be about the board game route, now we're talking about everyone's favorite faction to play against, the Badgers. I'm so excited. Uh, This one uh, was a tough one. I still haven't gotten in as many Badger games as I have in the previous faction versus guides. Um, So I did pull the audience, uh, pulled all the listeners, all the whimmies came out from out of the woodwork. Everyone rubbed the sleep off their eyes and was like, you have to battle them. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I wrote that down (laughs) in this guide. (laughs) Wait, okay. Hold on. Why is this the tough one? Why is this the tough guide? Oh, I I don't know. You said, should we do versus Badgers? And I said, sure. (laughs) That would have been a perfect time to be like, Jake, you fool. That's the tough one. (laughs) Let's do do hundreds first. Well, actually, when researching this, I did find that this faction, when going against them, it it is pretty nuanced. There are a lot of things that you want to do kind of subtly to go against the Badgers. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's just the advice of just battle their warriors, which is great advice, too. For instance, much like when you go against the otters, where, like, the advice is don't buy things and and hit them instead. Or if you're going to buy things, hit them twice. I feel similarly about the badgers, where it's like, if you're going to give them a positional foothold in the game, then you have to battle down the warriors. Or you could just be you know, bulk everyone bulk up their forces just to clog up the board to make it difficult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're saying the TLDR here is punch? That's correct. Yeah. I think Got that it. all of the versus guides have a 
a pretty strong underpinning of punch in this war game. We're going to recommend you go to war with the other factions. It, no, I think it's a little weird that like maybe the most symmetrical element of root aside from the whole like 30 victory points thing is that in order to counter a faction, you do have to fight it <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. But that's not all that's going on here. In fact, We've got some root news. That's right. We've got some really f- exciting root news on the horizon. Uh, community member Squidmark is going to be premiering his very own podcast called Getting Gamey. Nice. Uh, coming out this November, uh, slated for release, I think, November 21st. So coming up real soon. Mark your calendars. Uh, I was recently a guest on this podcast for the chess episode. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, basically the idea for this podcast is, uh, in light of the recent kind of board game boom, uh, Squid is revisiting some old favorites, you know, Monopoly, um, Risk, you know, uh, know, these sort of older games to see how they hold up uh, against the sort of newer stuff. You know, is there still a place for these classic board games? And what's their kind of relative uh, weight and... Uh, what do we think is going to be the best old board game? Ooh. So, so not just like old board game, but like like the popular ones that weren't like the euros that existed back then or anything like that, right? Yeah, and I think it's the yeah the focus is on like those games that just are on the shelf in homes mm-hmm. that you were likely to come across, and like are they do they still have a place in our current board game ecosystem? Since there's so much great new content coming out all the time. Uh, so we, we we did chess on the episode that I was on, which was really amazing, and we had a fascinating discussion about it. Um, wh- one of the elements about it that I really love is that there's like a tier list at the end, and whatever game is being discussed starts at the bottom and has to like beat each game that has already been discussed. It's like, oh, okay, cool. well, is it is it better than Monopoly? I'm like, chess? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, chess, is it better than Catan? like okay here's an interesting discussion mm-hmm. monopoly and risk have like really fun elements to them but they both suffer i mean I, I don't know we don't really need to go over this but they do both suffer from the fact that you have to pummel your opponents into non-existence to end the game don't you very true i've actually started watching a, a youtube channel that features like high level risk <laughs> i thought you were gonna say high level monopoly matches <laughs> <laughs> That has just to exist. Yeah, here's my advice if, if you're trying to get good at Monopoly, just roll doubles. <laughs> Do that. It does help. It does yeah. help, yeah. Look, if you're good at rolling doubles, stop playing Monopoly and go to a casino. <laughs> Sam, I'll explain why. So check out the Getting Gamey podcast this November 21st. It's definitely worth checking out. Thanks uh, to Squid for being a great community member and uh, happy to welcome a new content creator to the yeah. ecosystem. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure we'll update this with some root news when that releases any other root news kyle yes um community member endgamer is on fire with fan content yeah (laughs) endgamer just released the his self-designed taiga map uh over on the good time society discord i believe it's also released on woodland warriors Mm -hmm. uh but i first encountered it on the good time society discord and it is a beautifully designed um kind of winter adjacent map with with some kind of uh fun randomness elements 
mixed in to just sort of spice it up a little bit. For example, there's this mechanic called Blizzard, or or there's like a Blizzard thing that moves around the map each turn. You roll a six-sided die and kind of determine where it's going to go. A six-sided die? I think so, yeah. Oh, okay. So for a turn, it will sort of take over a pathway, totally blocking that pathway for the, the rest of that turn. Uh, and making the two clearings that are connected by the pathway not adjacent anymore. So it creates some like unpredictable scenarios. It's kind of fascinating for strategy. And uh, it can definitely force players to make last-minute decisions and get creative in the mid-game, which I think is kind of cool. I think that's a fun thing. Yeah, I mean, this this map is fun and amazing. And so if you actually want to try it out, if you have Tabletop Simulator, he built it into the um, workshop element of it. So I'll put a link in the description, uh, which leads you to that workshop file, which you can add and play on Tabletop Simulator. It looks so cool. I also just love the clearing layout. I'm always Same. surprised when I see these fan maps and I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. That looks pretty reasonable, but interesting and not like what we've seen before. So... That's exciting. Dude, more maps are such a, like, no-brainer in this game. Like, I love that the fan maps are coming out, and there's so many more developments in that way. I understand why Leader doesn't do it, because I think from a production standpoint, it's a tall order to make new maps all the time. Like, literally the physical maps. But because we can do it digitally for free, (laughs) that gives us a lot more options on TTS. And speaking of production... uh... This is not technically root news, but this is to follow up on our discussion from last time. Moments before we began recording this podcast, I did receive an email from Horrible Games. I did also. I also no. did. And Quartermaster yeah. Logistics saying that after years, <laughs> I have aged just in so much since... Grandfather, the- grandfather, <laughs> tell us about the advent of... Tiny Turbo Cars. (laughs) That's right. Tiny Turbo Cars is on the way to Kickstarter backers everywhere. I can't wait to play it. I can't wait. So thank you, Horrible Guild. Looking forward to uh, getting my grubby little paws on Tiny Turbo Cars. And uh, if you're interested, we do have a spinoff podcast called Tiny Turbo Machine um, (laughs) that will be airing on the Good Time Society Network. Uh, It's already canceled, actually. Just just found out Jake's... (laughs) Facial expression, it's already been canceled. That's right. Seven episodes we pre-recorded. I think we decided to cancel and never release. Yeah. We just you could hear us clacking with the slide puzzles too often in the audio, and I don't think without the visual it was very helpful. Absolutely. Although the 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 kitchen floor episode was pretty awesome. Yeah. I just the editing four hour episodes like that is just really hard on yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of four-hour episodes, we are 20 minutes into this Baby Man podcast, and we haven't even talked about the Keepers in Iron. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to say, we haven't even talked about his origin story, but that's fine. (laughs) Still unknown, Baby Man. Yeah, let's talk about the Badgers. All right. So just to reorient everyone, we are playing against the Keepers in Iron, all right? Yeah, this is a versus guide. Which, um... At the end of last season, we called the fastest scoring action having faction in root. That's right. They got the most actions. They score the fastest. They have the most point potential on their board of any faction. They don't even need to craft. They don't need to battle you. They could be left alone and win the game in a few turns. Okay. But in order to beat the Badgers, we're going to have to know what they want, where they can get it, 
in how to slow down their inevitable point scoring machine. Also, we have to find a way to win ourselves. <laughs> yeah. In the mix there. Uh, so I marked this one as a threat level orange red. And this is the exact thing I gave the moles, the same mm-hmm. threat rating. And I mm-hmm. think it's pretty similar because apart from being the fast racers that they are, the keepers can also stand with taking a punch or two because of that devout knight's ability, right? Basically, if they have a relic in the clearing and you attack them, they're going to soak a hit. They don't even take one of the hits. Plus, there is no direct way to disrupt their true point-scoring engine, which is the retinue. There's nothing you can do on your turn to remove cards from that retinue. Unlike turmoiling the birds or whatever, where you can just, you know, take out all their fox roosts and you know that that decree is going away, this time all we can do is just kind of make their lives harder so they have to take a risk and maybe lose a card. Um, so that means, I, I think if if they didn't, if it, if it was just that, if they could take the punch and they were fast scoring, then they would be threat level red. Uh, but they have an enormous task of hoofing across the entire map with a warrior count of 15. This is kind of like playing ultimate Frisbee against people that are uh, roughly seven to eight feet tall. <laughs> like you just can't do much but try and distract them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or curse at them as you jump and fail to intercept anything. That's true. But imagine you're playing ultimate frisbee against a team of Goliaths, but they also have to complete a scavenger hunt like during the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I found it. <laughs> Throw the tablet here. Something borrowed. Something. Hang on a second. <laughs> All right. So it's been a while since we've done one of these boys. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what they need and how to deny it from them. All right. So one of the main things the Badgers need is they need to expand through the map and establish rule in these clearings. This is because their relics are scattered in all the forests across the map. So there are some relics that they're going to need to travel almost all the way across to in order to access. Right. And there's that kind of two-step rule clearing rule situation where they need to rule clearings that are adjacent to the forest they're collecting the relic from and then to recover the relic they need to rule matching suited clearings so there's kind of two puzzles going on at the same time that they've got to uh, deal with but the thing they have in common is they need warriors to travel around and actually rule those clearings yeah and there's all of this kind of like is going to meld together because again i'm like It's a nuanced way to go against the Badgers, but it's also just kind of straightforward at the same time. uh, Because, yeah, like Kyle said, there are two puzzles that the Badgers are working on. So you can have a bunch of warriors, which is going to make it hard to establish rule in new clearings. Or you could go and attack their uh, clearings that are of the same suit. Let's say they have two or three rabbit clearings that they're using to recover these relics in. You could go and and attack those like kind of like bases of power that they have in order to prevent the recover. So there's multiple steps that we can kind of stop or clog up along the way. Um, But while they're just trying to expand through the map, the best way to do that is just bulking up your warrior count. And like as a team, like as a table, setting up walls of warriors uh, that's kind of like a do not cross line. Because by preventing them from recovering 
you know, uh, even just a few of those relics, you can severely hamper their ability to win the game. Yeah, I, I feel like this is maybe a tough sell to a table. Like, hey, let's work together and create a little like Red Rover line against this one faction. But I think one way to pitch it maybe is that this is sort of like akin to martial law for the Woodland Alliance, where, yeah, like the table does have to sort of work together to suppress the alliance. And similarly, if there's a weak spot in the map in terms of like one faction is leaving a clearing under defended or uh, what have you, that's going to be an obvious target for the keepers as they make their way across the map. They try and find those weak points. They're like water, you know, they like, they flow downhill through the lightest defense in order to access other areas. Right. I tend to assume that they've got a bunch of bird cards in their retinue, but if there's a suited card in battle and delve, if there's a Fox card, then you can eliminate a lot of where they are trying to go. You know, a lot about the Badgers is telegraphed, just like the Crows, except for it's a little bit harder to read. Especially the more bird cards go into that retinue, the the more guesswork you're going to have to do as a player going against them. There are a couple things that are a little un... Like, you're like, oh, is that a two or a three-point relic or something like that? But, like, you can get in the ballpark and know how dangerous they are. I mean, is it that tough of a sell to the table to say, hey, have a lot of warriors on the board? Like, I, everybody's fine being encouraged to bulk up in a war game, right? Here's the, I think specifically this hard selling point could be, hey, instead of, like, expanding into this new area, sit tight oh, on yeah. your warrior stack and just don't let them go through you. Sure. Or make it yeah. really, really hard. Because, you know, there's a risk or there's a, there's a kind of balance there that for that player maybe preventing the badgers is not as important to them if they're not in the lead right now right so right. like i think it could be a tough sell depending on the faction but the uh, lord of the hundreds for example you wouldn't rarely ever get them to just sit still for their turn right yeah that's a good point and i mean i feel like in the badgers initially also do for people that don't play against them enough look not as intimidating because they kind of slowly move around clearings that you generally don't care about right they're kind of not always in your way immediately Mm -hmm. so people consider them not as much of a threat but they're constant is their problem yeah but then like turn four they score 11 points and you're like wait i didn't know you could do that i feel like the advice of just like bulk up and deny them by presence is such a good uh, such a low cost counter strategy, right? It, like it, in a, punching them, obviously risks your your own warriors, but not punching them and just being there when uh, maybe there is where you want to be. Uh, that's actually a pretty a low cost and actually beneficial counter strategy for you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And to give you a specific example, a game I played recently on the winter map against the Badgers. There's obviously all those choke points on the winter map. Perfect mm-hmm. situation to just bulk up in one of the chokes in order to force the badgers to go in a different direction if they want to go through you it's going to be a mess so you put pressure on them to find a different path and in that way you sort of channel uh, where they're going to go and it makes it easier to respond to them because they're less flexible The, the kind of clamping down on their mobility is a crucial aspect to like hampering their scoring ability yeah and i think you're right to point out a lot of like the bulking up is is so map focused like 
which map you're on, which clearings you're bulking up in. Because if you're bulking up in a clearing that they're not getting to in five turns, like maybe that doesn't matter as much, right? Right. I think about, I, I really feel for like the Marquise de Cat in this situation because they have to choose between building a recruiter and building a sawmill, right? <laughs> they have to choose between scoring points, which they need to do, or like having a bunch of warriors in one clearing. So, all right. The next thing the Badgers need are cards. They love them. Oh, they need so many cards. Their card wealth is very high because it's very easy for them to get all their way stations on the board to give themselves a card draw of four per turn. That's insane. They can do that very easily. Uh, But what the cost with them is, is obviously they have to spend cards to recruit. So... How do we kill their, or how do we get rid of their card draw? Well, we can't directly affect the retinue, but what we can do is one, we can hit their warriors because they're warriors they'll need to replace with cards, cards that they now can't put in the retinue or craft. Or you can very selectively <laughs> kill their way stations. Why selectively? Well, normally, as we said in our badger guide, the Badgers might leave the way stations behind undefended mm-hmm. for a free point because mm-hmm. on their turn, they can encamp that building that was destroyed not on their turn to another clearing, giving them the card draw they need. Whereas okay. if they have to decamp, they're going to have that takes place after in camp and they'll have to put that building back on their board, lessening their card draw and taking a whole nother turn for that process. Right. Right. So how do we weigh the value of those two things? Well, uh, listener and contributor Nitro Rev suggests the only way to do this is if re-encamp is not possible. Okay. If the table is to fill their building slots or kill a solo badger warrior where they cannot encamp next turn, then hitting the way stations is great. Essentially, we can't give them a place to encamp when we remove their straggling way station. What is, uh, just for reminder, what is qualifies for them as a place to encamp? A solo warrior. A, a solo all they need warrior, is a warrior. And an open building slot. Yep. An they open building slot is the only they other. They can encamp, and that lets them recruit, that lets them recover and score points. And they can have multiple way stations in the, in the clearing. Right. They can. They can only encamp one time per clearing per turn. Right. Which is a, a little, little distinction that actually comes up almost every game that I've played. (laughs) So is it little? (laughs) It is a little rule with a big impact. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, this is actually a great point because sometimes you'll see that they'll abandon these way stations way in the back line where there's no relics nearby. Yeah. And it's like, ooh, free cardboard. Yum. They're like, hang on a second. This tablet way station is super far away from any tablet relics maybe just leave it there let them have the card draw and force them to march back and forth across the whole map in order to recover anything right i mean that's that's the real thing we're weighing here is like what's points and cards allows them to build the engine for points but being in the right space is how they get the points so i guess being in the right space is more important this is maybe more of like an end game point i guess uh, about the way stations but just uh, being judicious about when to hit them because pulling up stakes and being able to like move the line forward right uh move those kind of like next that nexus of recovery forward is actually a huge advantage for the badgers 
It, it keeps them nimble and mobile, which is exactly what we want to prevent. Yeah, I think it's like the rule is don't hit the empty way stations unless they have nowhere to encamp with that way station. Right. All right. So the next thing they need. Jake, question. No, well, um, I was just thinking like the only other thing we can do to deny them cards is to quote kill their warriors because then they'll have to replace those warriors, which doesn't really lessen their card draw. It just makes their costs higher because they need to have the presence on the board, right? Right. And think about it this way, too. If you do go after their warriors and the way station or way stations that they do have are like way in the back, that's where the new warriors are going to spawn ah, which means that they're gonna okay. be burning more movements in a in place yeah even get back to somewhere relevant see right? that's what's interesting it's like they if you force them to be in a place they don't need to be anymore yeah so just straight up hitting way stations early game is almost always good i find but leaving them in place in the late game can be it can choke the badger's action economy yeah i that's an important nuance i'm glad we explored that also there is like a fringe case of like what what type of way station is it is it a relic is it a monument you know like they could be like looking for a specific one and it's on the underside of both of the way stations they currently have on the board in which case you don't want to take that way station out make them (laughs) right (laughs) this is a level of the puzzle that during a game of root i have almost never had enough brain space to like calculate. I know that's what I was just thinking I was like you're literally leaning over their board and going how's the puzzle going because <laughs> like, I need to know what you, the next piece you're looking for yeah. do they have a figure on the other side of that one or like, <laughs> is it a necklace like, uh. yeah I think like most of the faction guides it's like you should probably play as this faction to understand how they work mm-hmm. um, th- this one is the most true about that like if you are just going against the Badgers, haven't played them, and are listening to this episode, I, I, I think that's a mistake. There's too many moving parts to the Badgers puzzle that you need to understand pretty intimately in order to understand the subtle ways we're going to disrupt it, right? Speaking of, the Badgers need to battle in clearings and then rule them in order to delve, Okay, so this is just a little piece of, like, before they delve, they must battle in that clearing. And then after that battle, they still must rule that clearing. So anything with those, like, defensive hits, I mean, ambush, super good. But, like, sappers looks better now. Yeah. yeah. Armorers looks good. Um, Anything that you can do to kind of, like, uh, shift those numbers to maybe they don't rule that clearing or just trying to benefit from that aggression, you know, putting sympathy acolytes or like the Corvid conspiracies raids in those clearings, knowing that like they have to battle there. So they are going to take out my piece, you know, right. They'll, they'll take the free cardboard and then you'll trigger what you need. Right. Yeah. And this is also interesting too, because I I find that especially early game, the keepers often have multiple, options for which clearing they're going to do their battle in and so they'll often pick the clearing where there is no enemy pieces right to get to get a free battle so there's no risk and they still get to delve in the early part of the game especially if like you know the cats are in the game or the woodland alliance is in the game it can be super valuable to like plug up the center most clearing that they have an option about and force them like outside um this is this is just another avenue with which you can kind of shape the battle space 
uh, against the keepers. I find that they're just a very positional type of faction. And so like throw a couple of warriors in a central clearing so that they don't battle there early on. I mean, that's then, the key to their puzzle is positioning, right? Like th- yeah. that's, that's everything no matter. I mean, they'll figure out the retinue and if they don't, you know, then they're just going to keep moving. But <laughs> well, that's the thing is with this specific point where the delve action is preceded by a forced battle early in the game that is kind of a hindrance or like it's a risk late game it becomes a huge asset to the keepers because late game they have the recruiting power the card draw Mm -hmm. to like throw that weight around a little bit Mm -hmm. and that battle action is like oh great i get a free check on my opponents Um, but you're right though that these warriors are super valuable make sure they're not getting too many free delves Mm-hmm. Get put up some resistance. I think that's that's an important point. Well, saving an ambush is the best advice there too. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, a crow recruit. That's an like an ambush stops that. That's great. Yeah, when we're always like never. Uh, one of the commandments of root we said is never be surprised by an ambush. Like build it into the plan or know that's the risk you're taking. And with the keepers, sometimes you have to end up taking that risk. Yes, yes, that's very true. They 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 face that reality more than most. Yeah, where it's like yeah. I have I I gotta get that relic. So what do you have an ambush? And it's always <laughs> nice to have that saved up. You know, we always want to save an ambush for when it's going to be awesome. And uh, with the keepers and iron, you can really shut them down. Like we always think about like turmoiling somebody with an ambush. You know, getting a piece of their cardboard, you know, if it's just like one warrior and a trading post or something there, you're able to get a piece of cardboard not on your point on your turn. But but no, an ambush can set them the keepers back a full turn, right? right. If they don't get the delve mm-hmm. they need, that relic stays in the forest. And then they have to go back to that clearing on their next turn and spend all the move actions, do another right. battle. It, it's a full hard reset off of one ambush in the early yes. game. Yeah, that I think that's why it's so it's the best piece of advice for trying to deny them that delve. Yeah, and you might think like, oh, the keepers will just bulk up. And it's like, you kind of forget they only have 15 warriors. <laughs> I do forget that. And it's like, they, get, they have enough warriors to get what they need done, but not really any extra. And they don't have devout knights all the time right like devout knights you think of more often than it necessarily actually occurs a hundred percent because they tend to you know they they delve the relic into the clearing after the battle so unless they've got a relic hanging around from a previous delve action this turn or a whole turn which happens but not constantly right they don't want to because remember those relics are prized trophies they're worth an extra point when you destroy them so they don't want to keep those just lying around you think they destroy them well when you attack oh when you destroy them (laughs) yeah well i guess you don't destroy them you you chuck them in the forest claim them yeah Yeah, that's true you don't even destroy them you chuck them in the forest (laughs) a forest of your choosing right yeah yeah (laughs) oh i know where this would look great in a forest far away from here. Just throwing it over a cliff while the badgers, their hands tied behind their backs, are screaming, No! We gotta climb down there again? <laughs> All right, and we've been alluding to this last need, but it is their, ugh, their big push and pull here is warriors. The, the badgers, they need warriors, and that's always going to be the push-pull of, do I put these cards and use them for recruiting, or do I take these cards and put them in the retinue? 
So in order to deny them these warriors, we're going to kill them. We're going to kill their warriors. This is where we come back to the simple adage of punch. Um, and we're preferring that this is a time where they don't have relics, right? Because they're going to soak that hit. That's their ability. But if they are not le- letting relics hang around, it is open season on Badger punch in. <laughs> and I, f- I do find that particularly newer keepers players will tend to ball up their warriors in one clearing uh, because of the whole, like, we need to rule, so let's move together as a pack. Yeah. And that is just a screaming target for an assault. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. The last game I played against the Badgers, I dug a tunnel into their clearing, sent, like, a bunch of moles in, (laughs) battled down the whole stack of Keeper Warriors, and then just went back inside the tunnel and left. (laughs) (laughs) It was, uh, and it was a, a check that they had a lot of trouble recovering from, because even though they have the card draw, now they have to spend those cards replenishing their warrior count, as opposed to building their engine, right? So they have to make right. these hard choices. It slows them down. It gives you enough breathing room as a table to get your own warrior count up, et cetera, et cetera. So you can kind of win the arm wrestle uh, with an early warrior check. I, I do think though that experienced. Keepers players will be more savvy about where they uh, bunch up their warrior counts so that if you're going to go after their central warrior ball, it's going to be very difficult for you or costly, um, or they might just split it up. Um, Marcus the Cat has a great guide over on uh, Board Game Geek about the the Keepers and Iron, Uh, and Sea Coyote as well um, in uh, their guide details a number of kind of formations that badger warriors can be deployed in go listen to our last podcast about the keepers we go way more into detail about it there but experienced players the tldr is they'll split up their warriors in a smart way so that they can't be just wiped out in uh by one faction you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah also i want to shout out luke's uh badger guide on Makecraft game that one yeah, also right. also huge and luke did help contribute to this show but we do have a quote from another contributor walrus law ever heard of him uh (laughs) he said that uh he'd say that the badgers have a hard time withstanding factions which spend a lot of actions attacking them crows birds moles uh even with the armor from relics dedicated attacks can screw up the badgers uh the warlord with his actions plus like a wrathful or stubborn or relentless moods can also be a big hurt on the keepers Uh, He says it's really important to not let the Badgers get that triangle of clearings that they use to, like, uh, delve without having to burn retinue cards. Uh, Also, like, ruling multiple suited clearings, like we talked about the double rabbit or triple rabbit clearings, where they are able to recover all of those things. So if you're able to hit without it, like, detracting from your engine, like the birds, I think the Lord of Hundreds is obviously one of those i'd I'd put it higher up on walrus's list here he says crows but he plays crows like nobody else i, I, I wouldn't be doing <laughs> he's that just assuming crows. you're attacking because that's all he knows because he just always is the crows yeah, uh, yeah i like i like that middle advice there's the kind of three different advices here right like the 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 one about not letting the badgers get the triangle of clearings is a reference to the fact that they have to spend a card for the retinue if the number on the relic is equal to or more than the number of clearings they rule around it they were that more correctly? Than, yeah more than, more than, okay. So letting them have to roll the dice on their recovery is a nice little 
nuance that you can affect by only really going to one of the three clearings that they need. Mm-hmm. When when we're talking about how you have to D up in certain places, well, this is only one place, so that's nice. It's a nice little deterrent. Right. But I also love the the thing about letting them rule multiple clearings of the same suit because when they recover, right, they need to rule an equal or greater number of suits of <laughs> uh sorry. Right, because they need to rule an uh, equal or greater number of clearings of the same suit in order to recover that specific <laughs> right? token. You is that, did is it. that how that puzzle goes? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you did it. Yeah, you guys did it. <laughs> it's actually harder to articulate this than I remember. <laughs> Badgers are so messed up. They're insane. Well, there's just so many, like, the, the ideas are easy to understand, but there's a bunch of them, and they're layered. Yes. So, like, the, like, the puzzle isn't actually... The puzzle's complex only because there's a bunch of simple steps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's too many simple steps. When I was listening to the guide, you were like, Delve 1, subset A. (laughs) 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 When you were explaining the actions. It it is a complicated one. Always good to bring out your faction boards when listening. So I want to add one more of this before we move on. Like, I feel like there's another need, which is there's a need for the table to forget about them. Hmm. Right? I feel like they... They do attract heat generally, but if someone else is taking the heat, that's what the Badgers love. Yeah. And so you need to mention the Badgers. I don't know like, yeah. what the advice is, but like they are a constant, right? They are a, an un, they're not an immovable rock, but they're they're rolling down the hill pretty fast and it's hard to divert them. Right. And they have that scoring mechanism where once you get three different types of relics that you've been able to recover, you get a bonus two victory points. And so a clever Badgers player is going to sort of shade their points by only recovering relics of two types and then kind of saving the third column for the end when they can spike a bunch of points all at once. That's kind of how what, Sam, you alluded to, like the 11-point burst. Yeah, I feel like it's often on the back of completing those sets of three and getting, you know, if you, if you recover two uh, pieces of jewelry, for example, and it completes two columns... That's in a bonus four points on top of whatever you've recovered from the relics. Right. And that's not even that tough to do in the mid game with the Badgers. So like a clever Badgers player is going to be shading their points. And so it's important to identify that to the rest of the table in case they're not like don't have their eyes like glued on their scoring track. Right. Right. Well, they, when they, I mean, even if you're looking, if the players are looking at their scoring track and seeing the Badgers low, your job is to be like, look what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. Right. Be the prophet of doom. <laughs> Tell them that the keepers are, are can do this big swing really quickly because you have their puzzle figured out. You probably I won't be able to – you don't have time to explain it. But <laughs> a figure. A figure in the distance. <laughs> it's worth two bonus points. <laughs> All right. So, Jake, you think that the uh, the way we deny them that is just – yeah calculating out their points yeah yeah if if so if you're in a game with badgers and someone else is taking the heat i think there's just a constant level of heat you need to keep the on the badgers period yeah and that's just a common perception trick that they're going to use during their game so it's just you know just be aware of it yeah and like call it out they're so deadly one thing that players at a table don't like is being tricked Mm-hmm. And so if a Badgers player is going to try and do that, I feel like it's going to draw extra heat because it's like, oh, they're trying to pull one over on you. And it's just like, not in my town, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it's a, it's a good way to build rapport with your opponents. <laughs> they're not. They're also not like super confrontational. When they have to battle before they delve, they generally apologize. 
Yeah, I must battle. I'm sorry, I have to do this. This <laughs> is just part of my religion, right? And they tend not to police because they don't care. They're just like, I don't. I'm not going to police. I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing because that's how I win the game. Right. I one thing to to think about too is at a ten thousand foot view, I think the badgers are a little bit like the cats, in that they don't want to actively police ever because they're they have this like hybrid insurgent militaristic quality to them where they're like not quite an army faction but they're also not quite an insurgent faction they're kind of in between and so any turn where they have to go and spend their turn just beating up somebody in a clearing that doesn't directly benefit their scoring uh is going to be hard for them to absorb that's really interesting i've never thought about them like that way but you're right they actually are they operate like an insurgent faction but they look like an army right Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) they are intimidating like an army all right so just to keep track here we've compared the badgers to the cats the birds the crows the otters Mm -hmm. all right all right yeah and the woodland alliance for their bursting Yeah, so okay. three, three or four left. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, we gotta, yeah, we can do we, them all. We can, we can all. get it in here. Uh, okay. Yeah, I actually think the otters is kind of a fun comparison because I do similarly, think the otters are, they're yeah. like a not quite a military faction, not quite an insurgent faction. I think they get branded as an insurgent faction a little more, but like they're kind of clearly both or have elements of both. It's interesting. If I'm at a game and I'm like, oh, who can battle right now? I'm like, the otters can, the cats can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the cats are supposed to be this army faction, but, like, I don't I don't count them in for battling. They'll take up space, but they're not going to battle much. Not, all right. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> if right. you want to go on a cat digression, you can. No. I never, is... I never have, never will. All right. Cat corner with baby man. <laughs> I w- that's what I held back was me referencing baby man. <laughs> that like me pulling back and you guys were being like, what did you, what do you want to say? It was a reference to baby man. Okay, here we are. Let's get for, to uh, for patrons. Uh, there's going to be 15 <laughs> more minutes of baby man content that we just cut. We will right read now. the pilot for what we submitted to Warner brothers of baby man season one. <laughs> Baby Man original soundtrack is going to be on Spotify uh, later this week. <laughs> it Your does official become... Baby Man NFTs today. <laughs> it's a mugshot of a baby. <laughs> He's got like a smirk little s- smile on him. And a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> five o'clock shadow. <laughs> yeah, five o'clock shadows, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So now we're talking about root we're talking about uh <laughs> counter crafting all right what are the uh, the cards we can craft that are going to help us combat the badgers okay and the first thing i want to say is an item or a, a card you don't even have to craft it's ambush and we kind of talked about <laughs> its specific use on like preventing the delve um but also any faction that's going to soak hits getting that ambush to to get to do the hit soak for you and then your battle is like kind of like full on again is kind of nice Dude, whenever a badger gets hit with ambush, the look in their eyes is like, you've been dating for four years and you just broke up with them. They're like, <laughs> what are you doing? Well, that's that's the exact moment that they transform from a European badger into an American badger. <laughs> oh. <laughs> look it up, guys. Look it up. <laughs> All right, but let's talk about the actual crafted improvements that are going to help us here. I wrote in uh, brutal tactics. Oh wait, I forgot. We talk about these. Uh, let's talk about 
brutal tactics. Jake? <laughs> brutal tactics. In battle, as an attacker, you may deal an extra hit, but defender scores one point. It's a bird card with two fox uh, requirements. Yeah, so it's a little risky because you're giving the faction that's the best at racing an extra point. But if this is going to make the difference between you wiping out their like big forces, you know, or or getting a hmm. two point relic, I think it could be considered. Yeah, spiking to get an extra hit against uh, devout knights in order to get that relic easily worth a point because mm-hmm. it it hampers them a lot. Because you also would have had to wipe out all the warriors in that clearing in order to get there, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in my mind, I think brutal tactics when used in the right moment completely worth it yeah i think you have to be more careful than with other factions just because they their point scoring potential is too big you know yeah don't use it on rando badgers i guess would be (laughs) the advice but yeah if you're going for a juicy clearing it might be worth it all right let's talk about armorers jake what the hell is armorers armorers in battle may discard this to ignore all rolled hits taken Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is clearly good because of the uh, must battle, then delve. You know they're going to be doing some battling. Might as well have some uh, armor to chuck at them along the way. And plus, they only delve if they rule the clearing at the end of the battle. Another tiny yet extremely important rule that always comes up in every game <laughs> I've seen with the keepers. Right. You so- need to rule the clearing at the end of the battle in order to delve that relic from the forest. So... With armorers on board, you become a very unappealing target. And if you're the only other faction in that clearing, suddenly going to delve there is a huge risk. I mean, depending on the warrior counts, of course. But they're going to be sending their very precious warriors into a highly uncertain situation. I love the nuance of what you just said, though. It's like that you have it. You are a, uh, what did you say? An unlikely target? Undesirable target. Undesirable target. That's so true. Like, it's less about even necessarily using armors so much as having armorers mm-hmm. and reminding the badgers you have armorers. That's a part of this game that I think is another step up for a lot of people is like, a lot of these cards you can do things with, but just having the cards and threatening to do the thing is is an additional asset. Right. And this could also substitute for having a stack of warriors clogging up the movement on the board. Mm-hmm. If you have just like a, uh, you know, a paltry force um, and a, at a choke point, but you have armorers, like that could be the deterrent yeah. you need to push the badgers in a different direction. So I, I think, yeah, for its deterrent qualities and its extremely cheap crafting cost of one fox armorers is clearly one of the best base deck crafts to counter uh, the keepers the badgers generally want to like make their turn super efficient with their battle delves too so they don't want to have to do multiple so they always plan to win (laughs) their battle at least rule wise right so this is a nice disruption to their plan because they did not calculate for it absolutely i'm gonna add one to this list if Jake, if you can get on root cards for me and do sappers. Uh, you mean you think I don't have sappers tattooed on my thigh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you do. No. Okay, that's not true. I I have I have protection racket tattooed on my thigh. But <laughs> sappers in battle as defender may discard this to deal an extra hit. Hey, you know, you <laughs> might you might be able to get away with it. I believe Devout Knights deals with rolled hits. No, it's it's all hits. It's all hits. All right. So it's it would agnostic block this. about the source of the hit. Okay. 
I still think that this could work in a pinch. Um, it's not going to be too much of a deterrent, but if it's a close battle, you might be able to swing the things back in your favor where they don't rule that clearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least it can make it even, right? right. It can even up the, the amount of hits. And right. this is chip damage that the keepers generally want to avoid. Again, probably more effective as a deterrent than when push comes to shove, especially if they've got an overwhelming number of badgers. But uh, again, being an unappealing target and positionally uh, influencing where the badgers want to go can have a major influence on their scoring arc. So this is well worth the craft. It's only cost one mouse. So like, go for it. All right. And then we've got stand and deliver. In Birdsong, may take a random card from another player. That player scores one point. Another time where we have to be super careful <laughs> of giving the Badgers too many points, but taking their cards is good. When we talked about what they need, cards, and how do we deny them, we can't. Um, this is just a way you can. Unfortunately, we all know Stand and Deliver is not a card that's actually craftable. No one's ever actually crafted it because its cost is three mice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why would you bother? I mean, uh, but it, talking about the ability real quick, Sam, like what situation is this? Like, is this where the badgers have already been hamstrung and you're hamstringing them further? Like what situation would you trade a point for just a card? Well, a card is two warriors for them hmm. in their recruit. Also an action on every subsequent turn. Yes. So it is very valuable, and that point trade-off is usually worth it. I'd say the earlier, the better okay. on this. Once that retinue is full, it, it, you're only preventing two warriors from hitting the board, and it's probably not worth a point because they're if their retinue's full, then they're going to be running away with points. Right, sure. But if you can get it early. So if you can get three, three, three mouse crafters early. early. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're playing on a randomized map that got those mouse clearings over there... And you're playing with the base deck. <laughs> Keep an eye out for stand and deliver. <laughs> I'm going to be like, honestly, you're doing enough, like, preventing the Badgers from recovering in mouse clearings because right. you obviously are there in a big way. And it's only situational then. You know what I mean? Like, because you're still having to do that trade off of a yeah. point. So. You're free to yell, finally. <laughs> yeah, send me a screenshot. I want the first Wimmy to send a screenshot to the Discord of stand and deliver crafted. That's a, that's a challenge. I don't even need the Badgers to be in the game. Honestly, the first person to craft stand and deliver, I will find something for you. Even if it's just a shout out on the pod, there's an official challenge. Every episode in season three from here forward oh, is no. going to come with a challenge. Oh, no, there's Hashtag a lot of legal requirements. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. That's the base deck, folks. Anything we missed, do you think? No, I'm infallible. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Exiles and Partisans. We got, and tell me if you've heard this one before, Swap Meet. Oh, we know it well. It's Swap Meet. Once in Birdsong, it may take a random card from another player, then give them a card. Yeah. You can hopefully take their bird cards and give them a non-bird card. Yeah, you just want to cycle out valuable cards and cycle in stuff that they hate and think sucks. That's it. It's literally just you're trying to slightly tax their card economy. That's like the whole idea here. The thing is, is it's free. Essentially, it's one rabbit crafter. It's very uh, low bar to meet. It's pretty light in turn, and it could just give you a small advantage as well. Taking an ambush from the badgers can create the swing you need to 
fully set them a turn behind. And you don't have to discard it. Like, you just can keep doing it. For real. False orders. Have you guys heard of this one? False orders? Is that a card in this game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that I have tattooed on my thigh. I'll just take audio from seven different episodes and just <laughs> layer it right here. Great. In Birdsong, may discard this card to move half of an enemy's warriors rounded up from any clearing as if you were that player, ignoring rule. This is where we can do some actual damage. False orders, obviously, false orders is good against all the factions. We understand this. It's probably the best card in the game. Moving badgers is so good because you can get them off the relics and way stations for sweet, sweet points. Mmm, cardboard. Or you can just move them to a clearing that's full of other people and kind of like lock up these badgers in clearings they don't rule because they can't move regardless of rule. And if those uh, clearings that you're moving them into don't have any building slots, then those badgers are stuck there until they battle out. That's interesting. Yeah, I've I've seen this card used against the badgers to score the cardboard points mostly, but Mm -hmm. there's another use case where you actually kill two birds with one stone, take half of a different faction's warriors and put them on top of the badger stack. There you go. So now you've got two factions that are in conflict that aren't you, and they have to deal with each other now and knock each other down. And meanwhile, you're free to just develop and get ahead. And the badgers must battle. So if they were planning on delving there, then you've now created a war. (laughs) Yeah, false order is a great card. Great card. All right. We've got Partisans, Jake. Mouse Partisans, in battle in mouse clearings, may deal one extra hit, then discard all your cards except mice. Replace mice with whatever clearing you want. (laughs) Right, if you're talking about rabbit or fox clearings, yeah. I like the idea of um, being able to switch the suits of clearings. I'm still waiting for that in Root. Um, Something that mid-game switches, like, trade suits with clearings. All these things tend to be like battle. Fo- There's a lot of battle focus things. A couple, we talked about a couple card things, um, but those aren't as effective as like swaying those battles in your favor since they must battle and they must rule after the battle. Anytime we can do an extra hit, anytime we can get a little defensive edge or just throw the numbers off, we're going to take it. So, Well, defensive edge means we're not spending the action to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because this could be used defensively, we're not having spent an action to battle them in the first place. It's used when they are expending their action. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. And this can be a good way of negating the devout knight's situation, too. And once again, creating a positional threat or deterrent to push the badgers like water into their the path of least resistance. You're just creating a little more resistance. Um, it's, good. it's best with partisans, I find, to announce that you have it, like any time that you're involved in a battle um because i i feel like in games partisans only gets used like in two situations mostly defensively i find and then it's like i've discarded all my hand i'm just using it every time if you're in battle me multiple times Uh, and the other is like on your winning turn you're like running around and like bashing skulls with partisans (laughs) um getting rid of your hand because like who cares Mm mm-hmm uh, so th- with that in mind, like, just announce that you have it. Just kind of gently remind everybody. Just bring it up. Create a sense of, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Its presence has value uh, yeah, and just as much as its usage, right? Like brutal tactics. Yep. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, also, saboteurs. Saboteurs, at start of birdsong, may discard this card to discard an enemy's crafted card. Yeah, so this is, I, I put this here because there's a couple crafts that the badgers can pull off that make them really dangerous. I'm thinking Marine Broker. I'm thinking Better Burrow Bank. Oh, they I'm, love Better Burrow Bank. Yeah, I'm thinking um, even stuff like Corvid Planners where they can move regardless of rule or something. Mm -hmm. Now, they still have to rule when they delve, so it's not quite as broken as you might first think. But still, movement, moving to the other side of the board is a huge challenge that the Badgers can just overcome with that craft. Yeah. So it's good to saboteur it. Tunnels can benefit them that way as well. Tunnels, yeah. All of a sudden, tunnels is a good card. It does feel like every crafted improvement makes the Badgers game way easier. Mm -hmm. So I think the Saboteurs should be really high on the list of cards that you should craft to counter the Badgers. Because, I mean, yeah, Eerie Emigre, Charm Offensive, like all these cards, Propaganda Bureau. It makes it so easy for them to accomplish their objectives. So make it hard for them. Craft Sabo. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, we've got another Woodland War Machine classic recommendation. At this point, when the cards just come up, do we just talk about why the cards are great? Because, I mean, if they're in every guide for how to defeat somebody, and we're always recommending they're, be, they're built, it's just like, the cards are fantastic no matter the situation. Yeah, I, I think that the idea is that people listen to these episodes, like, in prep for a game. You know, they're like, oh, I'm playing Root this week. I sure. know that Jason's going to play the Badgers because Jason always plays the Badgers. Let me throw on this guide, and then they can get reminded that Coffin Makers is a card, I guess. Yeah, plus I always <laughs> love it when Jake has to, like, squint and read a text wall. Yeah. I mean, I link all the cards in here. It's easily the the least useful part of my time. No, but I've printed them all out on a Word document, and I have it on 8-point font just right behind my monitor, which is very difficult to see. But I will read it. It says, Coffin Makers, whenever any warriors were to turn to a supply, place them on this card instead. At the start of Birdsong, you score one point per five warriors here, then return all warriors here to their supplies. Uh, Jake is putting away his magnifying glass and closing just like a huge dusty book. I need to put Visine in right now. It was intense. <laughs> okay, so why Coffin Makers is actually great for the Badgers, and not just a great card in general, is one, we've got the must battle, so we're going to be picking off little warriors time and time again. And the other reason is decamp. When we decamp a warrior, usually that's ah. the sad action, right? Womp womp. I'm going to get one last card, but at least you're one-fifth of the way towards another point. It's not huge, but it makes that sad action feel a little less sad. <laughs> yeah, that you get a benefit from what their engine needs to do anyway, right? Is that what you're saying? Right. On a turn, if you decamp, you're probably going to get two or three warriors in there already. And if the rolls go well and other people are contributing, you might be able to rack up a couple points. All right. I don't think y'all remembered this, but it's time for you may have a badger problem. Whoa. If the badgers have <laughs> two relics in two columns. It got very Boratty there. It's so good to be back. 
Okay, so we talked about this in the Badger Guide. Having two relics in two columns and then doing a big last burst for to complete these columns. We mentioned it earlier in this episode too. Is the way you get that big burst without people kind of seeing it coming. So this is how you see it coming. If you see the two relics in the two columns there, you know that that potential <laughs> is there and you might have a badger problem. The column scoring is the most... They get that two of this yeah. faction when we first read that. And uh, the fact that it it's across four different columns, right? Or, yep. Yeah, it's across four different columns. That's eight points. That uh, is almost a third of the way of what you need. Right. I mean... Let's be real. If you're filling up four columns, you've already won the game. But right. yeah, those bonus points are sneaky and we need to be on top of them. You also might have a badger problem. If the badgers have migrated across the map, if they've done the unthinkable and they've done the great badger migration across the map, you might have a badger problem because they've gone through one of the big hurdles of the game for them. Yeah, if they've broken through your Red Rover line of collective table resistance, cleaned up all the relics on one side of the map, and now they're, you know, charging into the remaining sections, that's going to be an issue. And especially if we're in kind of the mid game and they've got a decent retinue, this could spell trouble for the table. Could be very tough to stop. The fact that they've gone from point A to point B is a warning sign, but really what the true detection of this is that the relics are all missing, right? Yeah, you can look at the other side of the forest and see that it's been clear-cut of jewelry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this happens kind of mid to late game generally, right? So, you know, you're aware of the problem, I would imagine. Right, well, I mean, it's usually fairly easy for them to clean up like two to three forests around their starting area. Uh, but if they've moved significantly beyond that, if positionally they have like a nice foothold in the center of the map or kind of in the opposite corner of where they started, if they've somehow like been able to access a difficult to reach part of the map and have made progress on recovering those relics, I would say positionally they are in a, a place where they can threaten to win for sure. So yeah, be sensitive hmm. to that positional threat. I, I think this kind of goes hand in hand with the next piece of advice so sam just just read it you might have a badger problem if the other policing factions are weak right so this is what i think is the whole issue with the migration detection it's like well if they move from place to place they're doing it because they're allowed to do it because the other factions have either beat themselves both into submission or they just were never uh very powerful to begin with to even stop the badgers right Right, yeah, they can just kick it in like a rotten door. And Sam, that voice, I feel like that's like an, an old gondolier voice or something. Like that. <laughs> what character that would be. Oh, just me on my gondola. Um, so why I think the migration thing is an issue in and of itself is positional. If they started in one clearing in a corner and they st their other clearing was in a corner. If they were allowed to start in those two corners, that's a problem because they have access to all the relics. Mm -hmm. Yes, they have work to do, but they can get that done. Uh, yeah, they might lose some cards when they're delving, but if those, especially if those corners are like the same suit, then they've essentially got their recover taken care of. Ah, uh, gotcha. So like moving across the map is a huge hurdle like are they going to do it you know how like in science they're like 
when they're trying to like calculate if there's alien life in the universe, they're like, there's all these thresholds that have to be met, you know, where it's like, oh, well, it's their intelligent life. Did the intelligent life kill itself with its own technology? You know, mm-hmm. were they able to get space travel and all these things? There's all these like hurdles. And mm-hmm. for the badgers, it's getting across that map. And if you do that, then they're, they basically have space travel is what I'm telling you. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that the Badgers are the the Fermi paradox of (laughs) the root world, for sure. (laughs) But also, if the uh, policing factions are weak, I mean, that's always a bad situation, but especially against the racing faction that can take a hit. Like, if you're like Woodland Alliance and you're the one who's in charge of stopping the Badgers, like, that sucks. You know, if you're Lizards, forget about it, right? Like, they're cats. Like, it's so hard to imagine a world where you're going to be able to stop them if they got that full retinue, they're really humming, and the other policing factions aren't there. It feels like part of this is a real, like, you might have a problem if the faction matchup really sucks. You know what I'm saying? Because you need someone to be aggressive against them. I mean, that's always true about, like, having red factions, right? But, like, these guys especially need someone to be in their way. Otherwise... No one will stop that. I think the Alliance is actually a perfect example of a faction that like strongly counters the Badgers because it's like you hit them. It's like if the Badgers economy runs on oil and you've got a faction that just like Mm -hmm. punches holes in oil tanks. Sure. (laughs) Sure. That's what I feel like the Alliance is for the Badgers. But I, I totally take your point. If there's only one other red faction or if there's only one other like kind of semi red faction Mm in the game, it, is going to be asking a lot of them to dedicate enough effort to fully stop the badgers from making their way across the map. They might not have the warrior density. You know, even a great eerie player might not have like, might not be able to time it in such a way as they have that they have enough warriors on the map to fully prevent the badgers from getting where they need to go. Or their roles haven't been fortunate enough to allow it. Yeah. Also like I'm thinking like a faction, like the vagabond, can't do anything really about stopping the keepers from ruling, but can do some damage. So that might be an instance where you're like, hey, you haven't been helping because you've just been taking up none of the board this whole time. (laughs) I love the base assumption, which is true, (laughs) but it is a base assumption. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Hey, you're not helping. Get in here. You don't rule clearings, and we need to rule some of these. Go shoot him from the trees. (laughs) Okay? Kill three of his dudes, get the points, and knock it off. Is the Vagabond baby man? Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> another, you might have a problem with the Badgers if they have crafted a card to give them extra card draw. We covered yeah. this in crafting, Better Burrow Bank, Marine Broker. This is bad news. They already have insane card draw. If they have even more insane card draw, just start packing up the game, bro. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. We just did an episode on comebacks. Never pack up the game. You got it. Talk about it. Let everyone know. Start your own personal propaganda bureau about it. (laughs) Absolutely. Let let people know that the card draw is the oil that Kyle mentioned. He's got oil wells all over now. 
it fuels their gameplay. And Sam, this voice you just did, I feel like this one's like Woody Harrelson from the film 2012. <laughs> <laughs> it's been all... I don't know if I've ever seen the wow, film. Wow, that's another 2012 reference. Kyle's always talking about the film 2012. I know. He's like, hey, it's my birthday this week. I was wondering if we could get the group together and we could all watch Another Woody screening of 2012. 2012. Oh, my God. I mean, I knew you loved the Mayan calendar, but this movie is just <laughs> too much, guys. Look, I'm just in it for the calendar, you guys. Like, yeah, I... He's always quoting lines from the film and saying them slowly, so we'll all also say them at the same time, but none of us know. It's gotten to the point where if Kyle says anything I don't understand, I'm just assuming it's from the movie 2012, <laughs> but I can't verify it. And I don't want to keep asking. Is there coffee on? Because <laughs> there's an earthquake underneath us. <laughs> Because the city is falling into the ocean. Wait, what year is it? <laughs> That's the first scene of 2012. <laughs> Cuts right to title sequence. Someone's like, it's 2009. And they're like, back to sleep. <laughs> okay. All right. Also, you might have a bad problem. If the retinue is full of bird cards, that's a big problem. Because not only... Are they having so much flexibility with their actions, but it makes reading where they want to go that much harder. Right. You can't look over their shoulder and figure things out as easily anymore, right? Because they just have options. Right. Yeah. Bird cards in that first move column um, are especially inscrutable. And they, uh, we probably talked about this in the Badger's Guide. I did not review because I, I like shooting from the hip, Sam. <laughs> um I assume we talked about (laughs) a valuable opening play for them is to quickly get two bird cards into that move column just so that they have the ability early in the game to, you know, go the distance and uh, get out there. So if you check over there and you're like, oh, hey, they've got two bird cards in the move column. They've got a bird card in the battle delve column. They've got two bird cards in the recover column. Like, that's a huge problem. It's going to make their scoring engine so flexible that even like bulking up in some choke points may not have the same impact, right? Hell hath no wrath. Like a badger player with a a retinue full of birds. Okay. God, is that Shakespeare over there? (laughs) No, it's actually from the Woody Harrelson movie 2012. (laughs) All right, folks, let's talk about how to check the badgers. How to check yourself, okay? Um, this here is the tricky part. Okay, sure. You can be one of those people who fights off waves of keeper warriors and dwindle down their board presence, and that will work. But if you also want to win, you need to be selective about when is the time to strike. Right. There's, we don't have an infinite clock to just go and harass one of our friends who's playing the Badgers today. Right. Like that that is not going to lead to a win for either of you. Right. So what? when are the times to strike? Well, early. Hitting early is good. Making them make a risky delve early is what you want. They don't have to delve, and that's even better. Like, if they are willing to take a turn stepping back because you've hit so many of their warriors that they can't safely delve or recover, then that's great. They can either wait a turn or lose a card. And that early on makes a huge difference. Once that retinue is online, doesn't make much of a difference if they lose a card. That's because they can just fill it in with the cards in their hand. 
This is especially convenient if you have to attack or get to attack for free. If you're a faction that, like, needs to or gets to, like, I guess take advantage and do it on the patchers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or if you want to be a vagabond player and go, look, I did my thing. I hit him early, you know? Just to throw, like, a little a little more nuance into this as well, I do feel like that the Badgers are one of these kind of factions where it's very possible, it's very easy to overextend by battling against them yes. because of the way they recruit. So if, it, if you've not taken our advice and you don't hit them early, you wait for the mid-game, and you go after one of their way stations, for example, you go in, you attack, you wipe out, like, four warriors. It's, like, a good couple of rolls or whatever. Well, if they've got a full hand of cards, they can easily just restock potentially in that very clearing and then attack your weakened position after that point. So you, you got to time it really well, like like you were saying, Sam. So the earlier, the better, that they're much less flexible early on. Uh, and you do need to be wary if you're going to punch to not overextend because they, they can quickly regenerate forces and come after you. <laughs> so that's what we're doing in the early game. Through the early and mid game, we are also trying to bulk up our warrior counts. All right. So we are prioritizing recruiting and not, like you said, Kyle, overextending in order to clog up the board, make that great badger migration that much more difficult. Pick a choke point. Pick a choke point that you can defend, bolster your forces in there, you know, reinforce. And, um, close off an avenue uh it's it's really really good to plan in advance if you can um or choose the, at least choose the clearing in advance where you're going to bulk up your forces and uh my advice here is like if you are picking somewhere a little more central that's going to be more valuable to the keepers so it may have more of a um more of an impact on their ability to score Jake, you were going to say something? I feel like this goes hand in hand with the third item that you're about to say. So go ahead and just read it and I'll give you my thesis. Don't let them cross the board. Right. Which is generally best accomplished by beefing up your warrior counts. So that's that's two and three. And then number one, as Sam said, was hit him early. I feel like two and three are just something you should do when the badgers are in the game. Just it's your modus operandi. Like it is mm. it is your uh business as usual it's what you it's need your to do joie de vivre. it's your <laughs> it's your baby man je ne sais quoi. yeah uh you need to do it because you can do it and it's probably going to be part of your engine to do it anyway so just do it in that clearing or make a bunch of warriors there and keep them there to accomplish both of these hitting them early is of still valid advice but i feel like that is a calculated risk that you need to take and is very situational. I feel like items two yeah. and three, beef up your warrior accounts and don't let them cross the board, are something you just principally should do as part of your engine, whatever it is. Yeah. Now, granted, some factions can't do that very easily, but like, uh, put yourself in the the spot to do so. Or if you're not one who's known for beefing up your warrior accounts or s squatting in one spot, encourage someone else to do so, or even facilitate that by letting them do so. Yeah, try and add a, a bird card to the recruit column an extra one you know mm -hmm. or uh if you are the lord of the hundreds like prioritize building strongholds early in the game because it's going to just give you generate additional forces for you as the game goes on yeah it's it's tricky because you have other opponents and you can't fully spend all of your time focus firing just one 
and still hope to win the game. So yeah, uh, playing a little bit defensive in that regard, I do think is valuable, especially if they're positioned well, which is why getting your infrastructure into a good clearing early is super valuable against the keepers. Love it. But yeah, not a lot of ways to directly check this faction. It's not like we're like, check the suited recruits and like all these <laughs> things. Like there's not a real punitive mechanism in the same way. Like, yeah, you can go after the relics, I suppose. It just feels pretty costly. The closest thing is the camp decamp is the in camp decamp combo and like yes. when you time the removal of those, I would say, right? Yes. And the fact that they have to, I guess, risk recovering a relic that might not have the same number of clearings that they rule, right. but that's a punitive measure on their own. That's not something you can facilitate necessarily. Right. Yeah, you can just, uh, and basically, so what we're saying, how to check them is just like put them in a risky spot. Make yeah. their job harder because there's not a lot you can do. Like we said, you can go after the relic and you can chuck it in a faraway forest. And that does impede them, but that's going to come at great cost to yourself, most likely, because you're battling down a badger stack with devouted knights. They're a boulder rolling down the hill, and they're going to keep rolling down the hill, but you can put yourself in the way to make it bounce off its own trajectory. Yeah. Right. Right. Or you can just like carve a little canyon next mm. to you. And that's the channel that they're going to f- roll down See? once they get to that spot. Or so, you yeah, can get... change the elevation of the earth so it's just like not as steep of a roll. Yeah. Or you just build like a sweet ramp or something and then like see if it can make it all the way across the canyon or something. So you guys all went um, with engineering projects and I sacrificed my own body in the first example i i think you guys are much wiser in your choices yeah my my suggestion was move the earth i'm much wiser mine was put myself in the path of the boulder (laughs) yeah because we can't directly check this faction you do need to indirectly check it hit the card economy hit the warrior count position yourself well all right i only got one thing for special teams here and that is the dreaded snare lock is the whistle gone what was oh sorry special teams whistle all right (laughs) that was the exact right tone thank you thank you uh yeah so we're talking about the snare lock now this can happen to the eerie dynasties but as we saw in a game mr walrus law pulling his shenanigans was able to do the snare lock to the badgers now here's the trick here if the Badgers are down to their last way station, okay? So they don't have any Warriors on the board. We've really done it. But again, with a way station, they can come back. And depending on where, how many points they've scored and where the retinue's at, they're not out of the game, right? They can just bounce back. Right. However, if you want to close the door on the Badgers player, if that last clearing with a single way station has a snare flipped in it, then the keepers are out of the game right because they are not able to decamp there they cannot remove well i guess they can rem no they can't it no because of the specific wording of decamp using the uh the uh term replace which requires that you must be able to complete both steps both removing and placing Mm -hmm. uh in order to even begin to take that action this is the like rules lawyery part of me that gets really excited about this but like a snare prevents you from placing any enemy pieces in that clearing. So, sure, you can remove the way station, but you actually can't place a warrior there because it uses the specific verb replace. 
Can't do it. You are snare locked. Right. And the only other way to get warriors into that clearing to potentially battle the snare is recruiting, which, again, you can't do. <laughs> it's so brutal. There's there's no way back as long as that snare still lives. Well, the only way back is for someone at the table to battle your way station. Right. Or the snare. Which they or the might snare. do because it's cardboard and it's there. So like it is a free point. Yeah. But is one point worth letting a the potentially dangerous out. faction back into the you game? You never let a badger out of its cage. Yeah, you're only back in the game when they know you're not going to win, so you're out of the game. <laughs> you know? I mean, it could be interesting to to like strike a Faustian bargain with the badgers. <laughs> yeah. Like, All right, I mean, we'll go in there and I will hit your yeah, way station so, if you do XYZ. I mean, in the game, the only actual game where it happened, the Badger player yeah. did say, hey, can I is leave? there anything I can do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I... And they I, were like, <laughs> no. <laughs> this is fun as a three-player game, actually, thanks. In a tournament setting, like, maybe players will make the same calculation. Right. But, I mean, it's kind of like the Otters, though. Like, if two players are, like, never in a million years, yeah. Yeah. and the third player is, like... You help me deal with these guys, I'll let you out of jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I, I could see it, depending on like how spicy the players want to get, Like I could see it working. Yeah. And Root is a spicy game. It encourages a little spice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, in conclusion, folks, as long as we are able to read the board, take on some policing, and build a couple more recruiters than sawmills, then we should be able to defeat the Badgers. I was going to say, and thankfully, that policing can also just be, like, get in their way. You don't have to necessarily really always punch. You can encourage others to punch, or, I mean, you, you should punch, but you don't have to always. Getting in their way sometimes is enough. We got to do something about that warrior count. Somebody's got to punch. Hopefully it's not you, but somebody's got to well, stop Well, if you warriors. are bulky enough, they might do something about the warrior count on their own, right? It's the forcing of the battle and the delve. And if so, if you if you deny them rule by your own presence, I'm not saying you don't hit them. I'm just saying like you don't like it's it's a it's a different type of policing. It's a policing of presence uh primarily yeah. and then secondarily it's one of battle. Yeah. And a policing of potential, which yeah. is so difficult. Mhm. Mm-hmm. If uh, if any listeners out there have stories about um, what why they do or don't decide to battle way stations, I would love to hear them because I feel like that specific aspect of checking the badgers is one that I find myself calculating on the fly every single time, and I never feel confident about going one way or the other. Yeah, sometimes. So I, I'm just curious. I want to hear your stories of what goes into that decision for you and. I think if there's if there's one way as a community we can like dial in our ability to check the keepers in iron, it has something to do with the way stations. And I want to get, uh, I want to delve deeper into that topic Ooh, with all of you. Very nice. Yeah. So come join the Good Time Society Discord and join the Woodland War Machine channel, where if you post your story, we will respond to it with hearts. And faces with hard eyes and thumbs ups. However, if you are the first person to craft scouting party after this episode airs, you will be heralded as a champion. <laughs> but you can only do that by joining the Good Time Society Discord in the Woodland War Machine channel. And 
an extra thing. I, I know we've got a lot of new listeners. Make sure that you give yourself the Woodland War Machine role so that when we do episodes like this and we tag people in to contribute to the episodes that you get alerted. And I want to thank the people that helped with this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Nitro Rev, Bonsai 7000, Tripping Grannies, AA Ron, Garrick Samples, Monte Cristo 24601, uh, Bot Bot, <laughs> Endgamer 1331, Walrus Law, Peter Tingle, Luke Squidmark, and John C. Thank you, folks. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. This was great. I feel equipped to hurt badgers. Yeah, they're not so they're not so fearsome. Devout Knights isn't that. It's not going to happen no. that often. And even no, if it does, Devout Knights ooh, is not that big a deal. It's just they just soak it, you know, you're fine. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of Devout Knights or Baby Baby Man. <laughs> I'm afraid of Baby Man. You know what Baby Man's afraid of? <laughs> Anything else on Baby Man? <laughs> Let's see what else do I have written down here. Uh, gosh, four pages and really nothing else worth sharing. Um, Let's ask the Discord. Wimmies, <laughs> tell us any bits you've got on Baby Man. <laughs> we'll start a whole different thread for Baby Man that eclipses the Monte Carlo discussion. Put an emoji in your name. Are you a baby or are you a baby man? So it's unclear from their description. Is it a man who looks like a baby or a baby that is capable of doing things as a man? The thing, yeah, I don't know why it's baby man. He's just a baby who murders. I don't know why that's... It's not even like a Benjamin Button situation where the like, baby has had a whole lifetime of experience to like... That's actually the subtext that you should be learning from his murders is that he's killing people from his own past, right? <laughs> But we just never pick up on that because we're too hung up on baby and man. It's weird. I'm staying in this old house right now, and I just saw a photo on the wall, and it seems like it's from 50 years ago, but baby man hasn't aged a day. <laughs> I'm still unclear as to how old he is based on that description. He's a baby. Forever a baby, always a man. <laughs> <laughs> The portrait of Dorian Gray, but instead of Dorian Gray being 27, he's just constantly a baby. <laughs> the worst use of that power ever. The portrait gets old, I stay a baby. Just so I can murder anyone I want. <laughs> Get away with it. Uh-oh, the police are watching. I better throw up all over myself. <laughs> Why is that baby smoking a cigarette? <laughs> Look, I don't care if you are a baby. You're going to show me where these bodies are buried now. <laughs> Sorry, you'll have to forgive my partner. He woke up on the wrong side of the crib. He's also being investigated by a baby police force. <laughs> Tell me, detective, do I disturb you with the size of my head? He speaks in full sentences. 
This baby so he is a man. It, yeah, I think. Okay. So he does have vocal abilities. <laughs> We've at least outlined that. Yeah, he can. He has the dexterity to smoke and kill, <laughs> and he speaks in complete sentences. Still can't hold his head up though. No. He is. He is kind of <laughs> yeah. lolled forward. His chin's on his chest. Oh, we've got to strike him in his weakness. His, what's that called? What's the baby weak spot? The s- solar plexus? No, Jake, you should know this. What's <laughs> the, the baby weak the spot? Frenellum? Frenellum? The frenellum? Yeah, it's something uh, like that. The, yeah, the, you mean the, literally the soft spot on their head? Yeah. Fontanelle. The, I think Fontanelle. that's the soft hair, right? It's the soft, it's where their skull isn't completely formed, I believe. All right, hold on. Baby, it's, it's the weakness. part that glows. It's the part that glows and flashes red, so you know to hit it. <laughs> Baby weakness. <laughs> this Did is not gonna give go me in your, the results. I want. This is gonna go in your search history. <laughs> The first result is do not say baby man in the mirror three times. 